Hi, this is Erica Schultz. And Claire Connolly. And you're listening Listening to to Adrian Adrian Has Has Issues. Hey guys, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian. For those of you who may not know, a couple years back, I had started a music blog called Hopsnobbery, which I started basically as just someone who's grown up being a huge fan of music and, you know, knowing so many bands and meeting so many of them. It's like I wanted to use that blog as a platform to maybe highlight artists that I felt that maybe weren't necessarily getting the right amount of attention. And I had a lot of fun with it. But the blog sort of took a sidestep to doing a podcast, which was known as Agent and Atlas Have Issues. But with the new podcast incarnation, I realized I could not escape my music obsession. As of maybe three months, I restarted the blog. Now it's a part of the Agent Has Issues website. Today's guest, I actually met pretty interesting story, which we'll get into a little bit later. He is a musician, a visual artist, and he's been a part of some bands such as The Fiends, The Rosenbergs, but is currently helming Suit of Lights, a really great band based out of Tri-State area. Please welcome Joe Drone. Joe, how's it going, man? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I have to tell this story because it's one of my favorites. I kind of met you almost completely by accident. <laughs> yeah, we're at the bus stop. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because I had worked in the area and I actually had called out because I was sort of feeling sick. What I didn't realize at the time was that I actually wasn't sick, but I guess, I don't know, I was just having a really stressful day and I basically had told my boss, you know what, I'm not feeling great today. I'm basically going to take a half. And, you know, I head to the bus stop and I'm heading home. As I'm listening to music, every so often people at my bus stop will strike up a conversation. And you were one of those people. And if I'm not mistaken, I think we were talking about it was either Coed and Cambria or I think it was maybe Faith No More. Yeah, I think you were wearing a shirt from somebody. Yeah, and you had recognized it because I think it may have been Coed and Cambria because it was one of their logos and you kind of commented on it. So I'm like, okay, this guy clearly knows this band. I need to talk to you. So we were there for, you know, pretty decent amount of time just talking music back and forth. And that's when you let me know that you were a part of a band, Suit of Lights. And then, if I'm not mistaken, before you headed out, you handed me a CD of your album at the time. I believe it was Shine On Forever. Right, right. Just think about it. If I hadn't called out that day, I never would have found out about your band. (laughs) That's crazy. So I guess we should start at the very beginning in terms of you starting with The Fiends. Yeah. So Fiends was basically three guys that were high school friends started the band in high school. This is going back to 1987. We started our own label called Black Pumpkin Records and released our own singles. Then we finally released our own LP, which was distributed by Caroline. And uh, we toured with The Undead, which is Bobby Steele from The Misfits. And I played drums briefly in, in The Undead and The Fiends for, for the tours that we did with him. Uh, you know, we opened up for the Ramones, Seven Seconds, all Dag Nasty, like loads of bands. And we continued with that until, let's see, I think I left in uh, 98. And uh, then Jerry can, has continued The Fiends since then with other guys. 
from that point, I joined. Well, actually, I, I thought I was going to stop music for a while, and I was uh, just doing just freelance graphics out of Big Blue Media Recording Studio in, in Jersey City. Right. That's when I met the Rosenbergs guys who had come in to record, and their producer asked me if I would just play drums on the album. So uh, that's how that started. And then I was in the Rosenbergs for four years. Right. So then what point did you form Suit of Lights? So it's kind of funny because I always had this idea like, oh, yeah, I'll just do this thing. And that'll be it. Like through the Fiends and the Rosenbergs, I had written songs that didn't really like work with the bands. So I just had this little collection of songs. And I thought, oh, I'll just do a one off and put this to rest. Right. But, you know, here we are 12 years later. <laughs> In addition to being a musician, like you said, you're a visual artist and you've done graphics for all these other bands. Having that background as an artist gives the listener the impression of what Suit of Lights is all about. Because what was cool about Shine Off Forever, which is the first album I heard by you, is that there's prog, there's a little bit of metal, there's a little bit of psychedelia. Like, there's so many styles that just kind of work together. And I remember describing them to a friend when I was listening to them. And it's like, you know what? It's kind of hard to explain, but that's kind of the beauty of it, because you can't really put it in this one little tiny bracket. People are either going to love that or hate it. And I find like with the reviewers, they're either that type of person that really loves all music and embraces all styles and, and is open, or they just hate that and they think there's too many things. And they like an artist that will front to back make a consistent sound. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I love bands that have made careers out of basically one sound. But for me, that would be boring. Right, exactly. It would be boring if you just played the same style. I mean, that album itself called back to like 60s rock, but then there's like these elements of metal. It's basically really bright, but also a little kind of nice dab of darkness to it. Right, exactly. All my favorite art kind of has that balance of, you know, light and dark and sweet and harsh like mr bungle is a really good example and i would count them as one of my biggest influences and that that's the reason why i contacted trevor because he's so versatile and he could just immediately hear what you're doing and put something down that's 100 percent right on you know what i'm saying right from the very first suit of lights i just kind of coincidentally grabbed whoever was around like on the first album thursday was always in the studio and um, in the case of Jamie from uh, Streetlight Manifesto, I think at the time they were still doing Catch-22. And, uh, you know, we were talking and we were literally recording in the next room. And I just said, hey, I've got a song that's got horn parts. Would you want to do it? And he literally walked out of his session and into mine. And within like 15 minutes, cut all the tracks for uh, Goodbye Silk City. That's awesome. <laughs> Everything has always been kind of serendipitous with it. And I try not to think about it too much. I put the songs together. And then once I do that, I see who's available and see what makes sense and who might be good for the particular thing. So it's, it's it hasn't been one of those things where I'm like trying too hard. It's all come really naturally, which is how I like to work. It's just, it's a very natural artistic process. It keeps you on your toes, you know, not necessarily knocking anybody who maybe works with a steady lineup, but yet it makes sense that you would have like this heavy rotation of artists working with you because again, everybody brings something a little bit different to the table. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in essence, it really is like a solo project. You know, I didn't want to call it Joe Darone or whatever. I think of artists like Elvis Costello or uh, Todd Rundgren or Prince who, you know, they go through different phases and they play with different people, but it's always them at the center of it. Right. You know, there's always that definite personality. You know who you're listening to, even if it's a completely different style from the last record they made. 
And so for me, that's the most interesting type of artist where you're going to go from song one to 10 and you're going to hear a lot of different stuff. I mean, there's going to be a lot of different ideas. You're not going to, you know, it's not going to just be four or four of the whole record. Getting to your most current record, Break Open the Head, that really came out because the the first time I had streamed it, I was just sort of like, this is really cool because there's nothing on that album that sounds like the song before it or after it. Right. It's funny that you say that because this one I felt was really the most homogenous out of all the albums. Most of the stuff is very like up-tempo. And I, I kind of consciously wanted to do that because a lot of the pseudolite stuff in the past was kind of like plotting and I don't know, just had a certain feel to it. And I, I wanted to consciously make something that was more upbeat and less cynical. And so like the overall thought of the album, you know, break up in the head is, you know, just like a positive uh, encouragement to, um, you know, expand your consciousness. The video alone for the title track was so well done. Oh, thanks. That was another thing. It was, uh, I knew that we were going to be doing promotion for the album and that, you know, you really want to do a video. But honestly, I was like coming up really short in, as far as matching visual ideas to the song. And it was getting to be late, <laughs> you know, like the album was getting ready to come out. And I was like, shit, I really need to make a video. Like, what am I going to do? My wife actually turned me on to a guy that she knows called uh, Jeremiah Kipp, who, who is an indie film director. And uh, she just gave me his card, and I asked him if he'd be interested in doing it. And he uh, wrote up a little treatment for the video. And I just thought, well, that's cool. You know, like, it, it was nothing of what I was thinking about. But right. in a way, that's the best thing, because I don't want to make people associate specific images to a song necessarily. Uh, so that's something, a problem I've kind of always had with videos, because I think music, you, you know, it's interactive. You sh- the person should be thinking about the music the way they want to. I feel like they bring half of it to the table, kind of like reading a book. Right, exactly. So, you know, I was kind of glad that it was completely different from where I was. And um, I just thought, well, that's cool. You know, it, and in a way, it does really tie together with the theme at the end of the day. It's just, you know, setting it in a, a post-apocalyptic environment was <laughs> something that, you know, was just completely outside of my imagination. So that was great. And it was like a load of fun to make. Yeah, I would almost argue that this album, more than any of your others, really does feel like a very loose concept album. Yeah. Now, was that your intention going in, or did it just sort of fall that way when you kind of worked with a lot of the themes? It's funny because I never consciously think about, oh, I'm going to make a concept album. But I think I was going in this direction with bacteria, where I was saying that the human race is kind of like a bacteria. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, there, there's good and bad bacteria as well. And it's kind of, you know, without trying to be too heavy handed about it or preachy, just right. trying to say, hey, we should really examine what we're doing <laughs> a little more as a species, as a race. Um, so I think break over the head. I'm going a little bit further with that. And it just so happens that that was the type of lyrical stuff that was coming to mind that I continue to be obsessed with. Right, because there's a lot of songs that just sort of almost evoke, almost got like a rock opera feel to it. Yeah. And when I saw the video, like I said, I am the same way when it comes to music videos because when I listen to a song, what makes it click with me, and I'm sure maybe it's the same way with a lot of other people, is that 
you sort of draw your own conclusions, draw your own stories, and you find ways to relate it to either your life or something that you know. Yeah. So when you see a video, unless it's one of those videos where it's pretty, like, quite simply just a performance, when it comes to, like, telling a story within the video, I almost get really mad, unnecessarily so, because I'm like, damn it, now that I have this image of this video, like, now I don't have my own image anymore. That's why I was happy with the video that we did, because I feel it's very abstract, and it's not to be taken too seriously, especially when you see the very end and, you know, the main character just sort of, like, wakes up. <laughs> and it's not like, oh, it was all a dream, but, you know, then I'm, like, kind of laughing at the end. It's like, hey, you know, we're having a little bit of fun. I just think it would be really interesting to take the concept that you came up with the video because then as I'm listening to each subsequent track, the story sort of just continuing because it's like, okay, it's this post-apocalyptic environment. You know, like I said, the guy wakes up yeah. and, you know, you could take that in a very literal or figurative sense. So it's like, okay, now that this guy is essentially sort of, you know, coming into his own, that story can continue from there because I'd imagine then he in turn would do that for other people. Yeah. And I really like the idea, like I almost would argue that this would be a really cool short film, like almost a soundtrack to one. Well, it's funny you say that. Did you ever see the video we made for Waking Up is Good? Yeah. So, I mean, that's also post-apocalypse. And, and I didn't even think about that till afterward. But it would be funny if, like, the breakup in the head was the prequel to that. Holy <laughs> crap. You're. <laughs> oh, can we get this made now? Because I really want to see this. And that, one, and that one, the world's green, says something bad definitely happened. Well, they're both kind of color-treated, actually. But, uh, yeah, it, it's funny because when Jeremiah wrote the um, treatment, it wasn't set in that land yet. It was it was modern day. And the only thing that really happened was that people were noticing that they were going through a transformation and they started to have nosebleeds. Right. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. That works well. And it's a subtle way to do it. But then we hooked up with an artist who was making these beautiful masks. And that just set the whole tone for everything. And we just kind of ran with it. But like I said, it wasn't anything that we labored over, spent too much time worrying about or took all that seriously. You know, I think everyone was just having a blast making that. You're absolutely right when it comes to the idea of the positivity, because, you know, like with any album, it takes a few listens to really get into it. Now, when I first heard it, you know, I unfortunately caught this attitude because I can be very sarcastic at times or most yeah. times. Let's just I'm just going to flat out say it. So listening to this, you know, it's sort of hard to listen to an album that's generally positive because on one end, I'm thinking to myself, listen to this guy. Right. Like, how dare you? But then as I listen to it, I'm like, oh, crap, <laughs> I'm that guy he's singing about. Yeah. No, and so the thing is, it's so easy to be cynical all the time. and But at the end of the day, it's really a cop-out because nothing gets accomplished. You, you know, everyone can sit around and say how fucked up the world is, but that right. it doesn't help anything. And what I'm saying is that, and, I, you know, again, last thing I want to do is, like, be preaching to anyone. But when I read lyrics, they're kind of for myself, to, to remind myself that, you know, you've got the power to change your own reality. It's done in a way that I would definitely agree with that it's not preachy. Like, and I'm not even saying that just to say it, but I, I think it's just pretty realistic. I've heard those albums, you know, when speaking out about things of, you know, and especially in this world where, you know, between technology and social media, it's hard to really sort of speak out against those things because, you know, with the blog and the podcast, like that's how I've managed to interact with so many other people that I wouldn't have otherwise. So, you know, it's hard to really think about it that way of, oh man, like how much of this is positively influencing me and how much of it is negatively influencing me. Right. And, you know, you look at just the way the corporate media operates. I feel there's it's totally unbalanced. 
and you need an opposing viewpoint and it needs to be, this was part of my feeling that, you know, it needed to be an energetic and kind of like a slap in the face, you know, as opposed to the moody tones that I've done in the past. You know what I'm saying? Right. And um, that's kind of where it was all born from. Are you going to be working on a video for any other upcoming singles? I was thinking that um, Ritual Routine Control could be a cool video and also Monsters could be a cool video. But, you know, again, like, I'm a little hesitant to have a video like for every song. And I'd really much rather people just take the album as a whole and listen to it. But uh, I'm definitely open to it. I, I just don't have any plans. With this album, though, I've noticed that your lineup is obviously different from the last one. So is this now the official band lineup or are you still going to keep it rotating? Honestly, I have no idea. And I honestly, after every album, I feel like, oh, that's probably the last one. <laughs> but I thought that after the first one. So <laughs> yeah, I, I know for sure that I'm always going to write songs. I feel like the album format isn't necessarily as viable as it was once. I feel like people have short attention spans now and that it may be the way forward would be just doing a single once in a while or, you know, just release something straight to Spotify. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't know that people have an appetite or the, the attention span to sit down and, and listen to a record. I mean, if I have a whole statement that I want to make like this record was, then I'll, I'm going to do that, of course. Right, because with this one, it makes sense that it is a full album because you're working with so many themes. But granted, on one end, I do agree that maybe people are less in tune to having a full album, especially where, you know, digital media being what it is. But yet, I think in a lot of ways, it's kept musicians a little bit more honest. Now, because of the fact that albums maybe are seen as less viable, that just means that, you know, your material has to be that much stronger and there really can't be much in the way of filler. Right. EPs usually work out pretty well because at, at least that way, you know, you have a, a handful of, let's say, maybe, you know, three or four solid singles. If, But granted, if the album's good, you know, at least maybe because I come from a different generation, but yet, you know, a full album isn't necessarily all that threatening, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, if you're Radiohead, everyone's going to buy your new full album no matter what. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everything's changing. I think the thing now, though, is that there's just so many forms of entertainment and people just have a limited amount of time to enjoy those things. Whether it's like, you know, you got Netflix, Showtime, HBO, then you got your video games, and then you got, you know, whatever else on top of it. And then you've got your heavily promoted music. And then after that, you know, if, if anyone gets around to listen to your album, that's great. For me, it's all driven by what I'm actually writing. Like this time around, I just happened to have 10 songs when the opportunity happened to record. And there's actually an interesting story there because I've been associated with Big Blue Meanie recording studios for a long time. And um, Tim, the owner of that, uh, was selling the studio in Jersey City. And uh, he was getting ready to move to Australia with his wife. He had actually started uh, Big Blue North in Utica with his friend Jeff Adderman. When I saw Tim, you know, he told me he was moving. It dawned on me, like, wow, like, too bad we, we couldn't do uh, a last record together before he left. Right. So when I got home, I just kind of took stock of the material I had. And I thought, oh, like, this is a record. You know, it, it was kind of by accident. But those 10 songs that I had just did hang together. And the thematic material made sense, too. 
So I just kind of, you know, texted Tim and said, this is a long shot, but what are the odds that we could actually pull off a record before you left? And um, this is last summer. And he was like, let me make a few calls and see. So it was really a whirlwind of activity to, to actually make this happen before Tim left. And it was pretty amazing that we pulled it off. And I have to say, it was mostly because of Tim and Chris Connors and Jeff Adderman and also Billy Carrion on bass. Because without them learning material so quickly, you know, kind of dropping what they were doing and uh, recording the album, there's no way it would have happened. It was really important to me and a really great thing for me to work with Tim one last time. And uh, so now he's in Australia. That's nuts. Yeah. It always pays to know a professional because to do something in such short notice and do it well, because, I mean, the production on it is really well done. <laughs> I think it came out great. I think it came out really well. And what do you decide to do another suit of lights or maybe under a different banner? If I know anything about creative types is, you know, we always have different things going on and rarely are you doing the same thing. Yeah. Hopefully it does continue with some regard because I feel that and, you know, at the risk of coming off, like I said, as preachy is that people kind of need that now. And, you know, we could be here all day just talking about all the craziness that's going on. And right. I said, it's easy to be cynical and believe me, I'm one of those people. But then to listen to something that is, you know, it's it's enjoyable, but yet something a little bit more message based. And I think we kind of need that a little bit more now. So I don't know. Hopefully you don't hang it up too soon. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I mean, I really like to collaborate with people. You know, it's just finding the right person to collaborate with. I mean, like, I already have ideas for new songs. It's just a matter of, like, how do you approach it? You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, the other aspect of it is if you don't have a, an active full group, is there another way to approach it that maybe make a little more sense as far as production goes? Do something totally stripped down? You know, I'm, I'm not going to overthink it too much. I'm going to see wh where the songs go and take it from there. Have you ever think about maybe doing something like, a, I don't know, like an acoustic EP? That would be kind of cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I think some of the material could lend itself really well. I think as long as you have a strong melody, you could do it anyway. There's actually an artist I'm listening to a lot of now, uh, Joan as Policewoman. Are you familiar with that? I've heard the name, but I haven't got a chance to listen. Yeah, uh, this lady's name is Joan Wasser. And she could just do it all. And so, like, on her record, she'll have the full production. But then she could also just walk into a radio station with her acoustic guitar and just play a completely stripped-down version of a song. I mean, to me, that's what it's all about. If you have a strong vocal melody, it doesn't make any difference. You can just sing it, and that's going to be good. I think that'd be really cool for, like, maybe, like, a couple of acoustic renditions of Break Open the Head songs. Right. I would totally be down for that. <laughs> Break Open the Guitar. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be really cool. And considering the fact that, you know, that's kind of the whole idea of your album and, you know, taking that to a musical approach as far as like embracing music, because much like we talked about how the full album experience is a little tough, but then also the live music experience is also kind of tough, especially, you know, in this area, because every time I turn around and like, you know, reading news articles, like another venue shutting down. Right. Yeah. I mean, my feeling about the live thing is like, Unless you're touring, it's a lot of effort to spend on, on, you know, basically what playing some local clubs. You know, as someone that's done a lot of touring, I know how powerful it can be if you can do it. It's just not something I could do at the moment. Yeah, because that's kind of a full commitment. It's a full time gig. Yeah. As someone who grew up going to shows, it really wasn't until I started the blog and talking to bands and realizing that. 
Yeah, tours aren't nearly as, you know, a simple thing of just getting into a car, just driving around because it actually takes someone to put that stuff together. People don't realize the finances, especially in the day of, I mean, listen, the day after this album was released, I looked online and there was six torrent sites who had it. Wow. You know, it's like, if you could just go on Spotify, let's do it for free or just download it for free. What's the point of buying it? Unless you want the vinyl or the CD copy. You know, I personally wanted to make it, so I did. But, you know, like for a kid who is just at home, like they don't think about that. They don't think about how an artist is actually going to survive. I mean, I'm lucky in that I'm a graphic designer, so I don't need to uh, earn a living from my record sales. I didn't know early on until kind of digging into your story a little bit that, you know, you do have this background for uh, graphic design. Yeah. I mean, it kind of came about naturally. Like with The Fiends, I designed all the stuff for that the logo and the album covers. I mean, back then we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. We literally took the black inner sleeve of ACDC's Back in Black because we knew it was the right size for a record. And I like <laughs> glued the, the Fiends logo on, on top. <laughs> like, it was insane. And we sent that to uh, Caroline or uh, whoever was pressing it at the time. <laughs> and, you know, but from there you just learn each time and, Actually, again, I'm going back to Tim from, from Big Blue Meanie. He gave me a kick in the ass because around, I guess it was around 93 or something. He said, listen, you should really learn how to use a computer. You know, this is before every person had their own computer. Right. You know, he made me learn how to use Photoshop and I learned uh, Illustrator. And like before you know it, I was freelancing out of the studio. And that was cool, you know, because I, I basically bands would come in, they would need something. I worked with Agnostic Front. Madball. I did a lot of stuff for Epitaph. Uh, I did uh, SODs, Bigger Than the Devil. I did something for Madonna and Van Halen. Sorry, I kind of had a geek out moment there because you mentioned Agnostic Front, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. A couple, yeah, a couple of those uh, Epitaph releases I did. And actually, is is another thing that was just cool about being in the studio. You know, Roger would come up and say, "Oh, we're gonna do like gang vocals." You know, come downstairs, and then next thing you know, you're on the Agnostic Front album. <laughs> that's awesome yeah and uh same thing happened with thursday's full collapse um autobiography of a nation uh sal came upstairs and said hey uh you want to you do a backup vocal and i'm like sure you know I, that was the first time i heard the song and i was like blown away by it so this whole time i've been listening to the album and i realized you're actually on it yeah I, i've got a credit on it if you take a look that's nuts <laughs> yeah that's one of the coolest things that I think I've been able to be on. I mean, I feel like that record just was a game changer for, for a lot of reasons, but I think it really raised the watermark as far as lyric writing in, in the hardcore scene. Right. You know, and just having a, a more nuanced worldview and a little more sophisticated, you know, as well as pushing music forward a little bit. It was definitely an original and very interesting album. Absolutely. And I, I do feel a, a lot of home state pride because every time, you know, someone mentions Thursday, like part of me literally has to just jump up. It's like, they're from Jersey. It's like, yes, we know that. And I'm like, no, you don't understand they're from Jersey. This is a great thing for us. Yeah. Actually, I go back with Jeff a little before that, too, because he came to Big Blue with his band that I think he was still in high school called uh, Useless. And um, they needed a drummer to record on the album. So I played on that. Uh, it was like just a CD release. Nice. Yeah, that they did. Next thing I know, Jeff went away to school and started Thursday. And it, we kind of lost touch for a while. And uh, then he came back to Big Blue to record the first Thursday record. That was the first I heard of that. Man, like you, you pretty much had like a pretty awesome career. I, honestly, like, 
I feel really lucky just to have, you know, been born where I was born. I actually grew up across the street from uh, these guys, uh, the Kerwins, who were cousins with Jerry and Doyle from the Misfits. That was like my first introduction to music, really, and punk rock. And I was just hooked automatically. Um, I, you know, just seeing the way they released their own records. They were literally cutting and gluing their own seven inches together and silk screening their own shirts. Like, it was just the coolest thing in the world. And so I just thought, like, this is it. This is what I want to do. That's something I really appreciate from bands, even if they're not from that genre, but just basically having that punk rock ethic to what they do, because there's a reason why it works so well. And there's a reason why it had lasted as long as it did, because I think it was sort of necessary because bands in that way became very much more proactive in what they did. Yeah. I mean, The Fiends came about at a weird time because it was after the first wave of punk and before the second really big one. And so we, it was really tough for us. And it's also pre-internet. So we were like spending hundreds of dollars just to send out postcards to people to tell them where we were playing. And we were going out on tour and getting our ass shot off you know, financially. So it, it was kind of difficult. But then at the same time, we were able to play with amazing bands because there was no competition. And we're playing with, basically with our heroes. You know, like my favorite band in high school was All. And we played with them every time they were on the East Coast played tons of shows with them so i feel really fortunate just to be involved in music at all but just to have been exposed to to the really really cool underground bands because i feel like that's where most of like the cutting edge stuff was happening anyway especially in the 80s right I always take it personally, you know, when people are like, there's no good music out and you don't necessarily want to always, you know, take a crap on mainstream music, but yet yeah. there's still so much great stuff out there, but it's like, you have to kind of work for it a little bit. And I don't know, some people feel like they don't necessarily have to, but yet, I don't know, kind of putting the extra effort into discovering it, I think almost kind of makes it more worth it because you've really put in the time to find something that really works for you. Yeah. You got to meet them halfway. And I'm always seeking out something new, and I'm always into new bands. A lot of people I know, you know, they get to adulthood, and then they just want to listen to what they were into in high school. And to me, that's so fucking lame. <laughs> There's that whole thing of, um, what is that saying people always uh, mention, where, you know, once you sort of, like, hit, like, your 30s, like, you stop listening to new music. I'm yeah. like, really? Yeah, I don't. In fact, I get bored. I, I have to constantly seek out something new. Uh, and I'll also look to the past for stuff that was overlooked. Um, something I'm listening to a lot of now is a power pop group called The Quick. And um, you may not realize, they, they were a song called uh, Pretty Please Me, which the Dickies did. And um, they were fantastic, but they were just completely overlooked. I haven't even heard of them, but I will write that down uh, once we wrap up. There's just so much out there, especially in this day of the consolidated media. It's harder and harder for for an independent artist to be heard at all. Right. You've got to look around. And I think, you know, like Bandcamp coming along was a big deal. You know, obviously the internet was a big deal because you, just like with your podcast, you can reach an audience without having to be on the airwaves. Just like, you know, I released my video on YouTube and people can watch it. It doesn't have to be on MTV. The fact that it is on the internet and it is, you know, such an open environment, there really isn't much of an excuse as to why you haven't found anything new. And, you know, maybe that's just kind of the, uh, you know, the, the snob in me that's talking, but yet, you know, there's no reason why anybody can't discover anything new. Yeah, absolutely. 
And yes, I, I do agree that maybe, like, has everything been done? Yes and no. I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to reinvent the wheel, but hey, at least to find something consistent. Like, that that's still very much a thing. It's just a matter of will people really work to try to go and look for it. Yeah, like, for me, yeah, you could say everything's been done, but it's the personality of the artist and the way they interpret all the influence that they've had and the specific influences that they've had that no one else has. So, like, for me... The, on the new record, a big influence was the band Cardiacs. Have you heard of them? Yes. So Cardiacs, and another one was Sparks. And those are two references that I don't think a lot of people are going to know. But for me, what they're doing, they're both doing this thing where they're taking the past, but they're pushing it forward. You know what I mean? And they are the avant-garde. They're making progress in music. I mean, it's not progressive rock, quote-unquote, but... They're doing something new, and um, that's what that's what makes me inspired. I don't want to listen to the past. I want to listen to the future. So when I hear something that I haven't heard before, that's what I'm going for. And, and like I brought up Jonah's Police Woman, she does that really well with soul music, but she's throwing in odd time signatures and stuff that you would not expect to hear in that genre. She's a true artist, and she's extremely honest in what she's doing. It just totally rings true with me and it's it's i don't know i can't say enough about her i actually saw her play recently i was i was blown away by it i think you hit on it honesty yeah going back to the lack of cynicism as i've come to realize and even from doing the blog and then now the podcast well i guess the blog too is that if I really sat down and thought about it, there are a lot of podcasters, a lot of blogs, you know, I'm definitely in no ways the only one doing this kind of thing right now. But because of that, the only thing that really I could then push forward to sort of make myself, you know, separate from someone else is my personality. And I think that in a way, I would feel that it's the same way for bands because, yes, I mean, there are so many artists out there whether it be solo or otherwise, but because there's so many, you can't really afford to embrace this sort of bullshit persona. Like you really have to put yourself out there. I mean, yeah, there's no guarantee that that's necessarily going to win you like this massive success, but yet at the end of the day, people need to give a shit about what you're doing. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I feel like the society as a whole is way too focused on, you know, quote unquote success and money, especially when it comes to the arts, because to me, art is the total opposite of that and is way more interesting. And it's, right. you know, it, it's spiritual. It's, it has, it's the total opposite of, of that stuff, which is really, when you think about it, very small. And, I mean, you know, the money system itself is essentially made up. So it's like, how the fuck are you using that to judge art is beyond me. But we do it, and I do it sometimes, too. You know, I think about movies that have come out and how many times in debating them, have I, you know, gone on my way to mention the fact that, well, you know, it was, you know, number one for three straight weeks at the box office, but yet, you know, there's a lot of things that are out that are super successful that I really don't particularly care for. So clearly, if that's the way for me, then it's that way for somebody else. Yeah, it's definitely a blockbuster culture now. But I see, you know, technology has made it possible now to make a smaller film and have it be successful as well. So, you know, just like, we were able to do our video without, without spending a million dollars and we were able to get the ideas across, but that's all because of technology as well. So it's definitely, there's a flip side to the whole thing. Oh yeah. 
I'm definitely not demonizing it, but yeah, it's just a matter of having having a way to take what exists and making it work in a way that's a little bit more realistic. Right. You got to work with it. But for me, having something, I'd much rather have something be artistically interesting and have it be small than have a big, huge thing that's totally boring. I do feel that music is long overdue for like that shakeup, you know, much like in a way where let's say the digital medium kind of like shook a lot of people out of comfort zones. I, I think we're long overdue for, and when I say next big thing, I don't mean necessarily in case of like a fad, but just more of the something to come up that really just sort of just shakes up everything and made people reevaluate it in a different way. Yeah. I mean, like Tony Visconti was saying recently, uh, you know, the, the next David Bowie is out there. He's just not getting a chance because of the way things are structured right now. Right. But I think there's always hope for something like that to bubble up. You know, it's not the industry that made it possible for Nirvana to be what they were. But I think as long as the people are interested and, you know, the people are open, there will come a time because what the current paradigms, all of them, whether it be music or the government, they're old and it's time for something new. That's why I say, you know, we're ready for a reality 2.0. Because uh, the current one, you just see it. It's uh, stagnating completely. Yeah. And the change is already happening. And, you know, not to get necessarily too political, but yet I, I think it's one of those things where the change is already underway. Yeah. But yet there's such a heavy resistance in so many things, whether it be social or, you know, otherwise. And yet, you know, it's already happened. But unfortunately, I guess there's so many people who want to keep it a certain way that they've really gone out of the way to keep that status quo. And, and it's kind of a shame. But yet I'm glad that at least somebody is finally kind of waking up and realizing that, hey, there's something wrong. Yeah. And I mean, I think they let the genie out of the bottle with the internet before they were able to really control it. And that was a great thing because people are now more connected than they've ever been. And ideas flow more freely than they ever have. And people can see how ridiculous the mainstream media is. Going back to, you know, your album, like this is kind of what you speak about is that, you know, it's already out there, but yeah, it's just a matter of getting everybody sort of on board and realizing, hey, the world isn't maybe as screwed up as we think. But, you know, if we don't do anything about it, then, well, it will get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not the dark ages yet. (laughs) And, you know, literally, we can decide which way it goes from here. People do have to get out of their fog in order for that to happen. Agreed. Joe, thank you so much. I, I'm so glad we got a chance to sit down and chat again. Cause Absolutely, man. I, had, I, I, I talk about that day a lot, especially to my girlfriend, because I'm, I'm always rambling about something. And, you know, when the opportunity came up uh, to do the interview, I'm like, absolutely. Like, I just could not wait to do this. That's great. And I'm glad you're still at it, man. It's excellent. Yeah, like I said, the the blog, unfortunately, took a sidestep for a while. But that's one of those things where... I had been doing it and I did that thing of, well, yeah, I'm enjoying it, but is it really viable? But yet I was kind of looking at it from a, uh, from the wrong way, you know, going on about, you know, that blockbuster mentality because it's not like this huge thing, you know, you kind of get a little disenfranchised, but I'm like, long before I ever put a comic book in my hand, you know, music was something that I was just, it was a huge part of my life and I'm, I'm glad that I was able to kind of, uh, sort of marry it with the, the podcast as it exists. So believe me, like I, I can't wait to, you know, hopefully get together and chat again. Absolutely, man. Anytime. But before we go, please let everybody know where they can find your work and things you wish to plug. Feel free to do so. Yeah. The main site is suitoflights.com. Uh, the album's also on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, videos on YouTube, Vimeo. 
Uh, it's called Break Open the Head by Suit of Lights. That'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue. guys i'm adrian and i'm his issues wait what hey guys i'm adrian and i'm wait wait that's not right hey guys i'm adrian and i'm eileen tune in to the adrian has issues podcast each week we chat with some great people including me from time to time comic book creators comedians musicians and actors tax collectors zamboni drivers Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us. Ah, oh, McKenna, you're way cooler than I am anyway. Aw, oh, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com.